Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. I'm feeling no pain. I'm hurting no more. Come on and try me. You started this war. Won't bite your baby. No, it's a maybe. I'm finished. I'm through. I'm over and done with you. I Picked it for the title, Feeling No Pain, decided I'd make that our solidarity song. That's a feature G instituted at the start of the 8 o'clock hour every night, every uh, weeknight. She uh, does a song and a shout out to all of the first responders and healthcare workers and everybody who's getting us through this. So that's the Dell Satins, Columbia Records, 1963. Didn't chart. Dion DiMucci co-wrote it. And the Dell Satins were nothing if not a white New York doo-wop group. But they had a ton of members over the years. Probably the most famous was Johnny Maestro of the Crests and the Brooklyn Bridge. But they did a lot of backup. In fact, when Dion decided to replace the Belmonts, he chose them. And so they were on Run Around Sue and the Wanderer and uh, Ruby Baby and Donna the Prima Donna, all that stuff. And uh, they're also heard on Ernie Maresca's Shout Shout, Knock Yourself Out on Seville. They did a lot of stuff for Alan Freed. They wound up, uh, like I say, on Columbia for that record with Feeling No Pain. There were regulars on Clay Cole, who uh, was the kind of TV dance king in New York City. And so where's the uh, Chicago connection? I have one for this, actually. And that's their name, the Dell Satins. They idolized the Dells. So Dell from Dell Satins was the Dells. And, of course, you can imagine Satins came from Connecticut's five Satins of any still of the night fame. So uh, you know we'll play some Dells and some five Satins tonight, no doubt about that. All right, I've been looking forward to this, and uh, I thought it was perfect to have Captain Trahan back on. A, because uh, Independence Day is tomorrow, and he had a heck of a career as an Air Force officer, and he's a Vietnam vet, but also because I, I love talking about the airlines, and he flew uh, for Delta for over 30 years, retired 32 years in as a captain in 2002. So, Captain Trahan, welcome. I'm again. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the books. I, uh, I, I read the Delta one first, of course, and just uh, you couldn't pry me away from that book. I loved, uh, I loved every page of it. And what was most interesting to me is I, I decided I'd read the Air Force years next, and I have absolutely no connection to the Air Force, and I thought, I wonder if I'll like this. And early on, it just captivated me. So you're a great writer. Well, thank you. Well, I appreciate that. I was wondering what direction this, this would go tonight. 
because you've got so much to choose from from reading those books. Well, I do, and I have not yeah. finished the third one yet. But uh, yeah. of course, this is a wonderful trilogy. But uh, the gift, the beginning, the Air Force years, and the Delta years. But you've written so much more, like Delta Deja Vu, and it's all on Amazon.com. So uh, that's ju- that's just terrific. Are you still writing? No, not a whole lot lately. I'm just kind of. We've got our granddaughter and our great granddaughters living with us right now, so I'm I'm soccer mom now. Oh, that's and, uh, great! Having, having a good time with them. Uh, yeah, that, but I haven't done much writing lately. But uh, no, that, yeah, that's they're terrific. all they're all there. Yeah, I'm glad you got the books. I'm I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed them, Ronnie. Oh, I did. And, you know, I, uh, uh, like you probably were after the fact, I was kind of tr- crushed when you decided you'd go transport instead of fighter. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you certainly no. got a workout. I wouldn't call it a fighter jet, but what you did with Spooky was utterly amazing. Well, it, it's funny how things work out, Ronnie. You know, I was really torn between going to fighters and, uh, and transports, and I, I knew that I wanted to see the world. And I made the choice, and believe it or not, I regretted it because fighters, uh, the Air Force was the only place in the world you could fly those kind of airplanes, you know. And I passed up that opportunity. But it led me, since I had to go to war anyway, and I don't like, you know, I I didn't relish the thought of killing people. But uh, since I had to go to war, and I, I got the perfect mission for me, which was close air support, so that any any battle I got into, I was fighting um, me and my crew were fighting off people who were attacking our troops or our allies so it was the perfect mission for me and i wouldn't have felt that way in a fighter it would have been a little different right you know things all worked out had you chosen fighter you would not have been given that close air support mission right well yeah i probably would have but it it would have been different Fighters did did fly close air support, but they they weren't capable of hanging around with those guys all night if they needed them. You know, they'd come in and drop their bombs or strafe, and they were out of there. And right, but we were able, we were able to babysit them all night. We had to. Well, and you, I could tell from the book, you really had relationships with these people. I mean, this was up close and personal, uh, and uh, the whole uh, theory of Spooky, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you uh, briefly tell us that again if somebody missed your last two appearances, but the whole theory of Spooky is absolutely ingenious. In some way, it turns fixed wings into choppers as far as their ability to hover. Well, uh, basically, yes. Uh, the choppers, of course, were would fire out the side. They could fire any direction, um, but uh, normally fixed-wing aircraft fired out the front uh, because that's the way they did it forever. And somebody came up with the idea of, of getting an old transport airplane, and they picked the uh, C-47, which civilians know as the DC-3, which was built by Douglas in the 30s. And uh, it was the oldest airplane in Air Force in inventory but uh they decided in 1965 that uh there was a desperate need for a close air support that would be able to go out to to uh outpost and in units that were on the ground out there and, and provide close air support at night for them and be able to stay there and provide a lot of firepower so they they picked the dc3 because they could uh put three machine guns on it we had three 7.62 minigun uh, machine guns. They fired 6,000 rounds a minute. And we could, because the airplane was a transport, we could carry 
21,000 rounds of ammunition, and that bet weighs a lot. And we also carried 48 flares on parachutes. So we could go set up, uh, you know, just a night. We'd be on night patrol and flying around hot areas, and they'd, anybody got in trouble, they would call us, and we'd come in and provide close air support. And, yes, it was quite intimate. I mean, sometimes one night um, – the, the the outpost was being overrun, and the guy asked me to put the fire on the camp. So I had to shoot right on top of them, and they were all bunkered in. And he said there were probably a couple of hundred of them up there coming through there. And uh, after about 10 seconds of firing, he said, you can see fire. Spooky. It's quiet up there now. So, yeah, it got intimate. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating story. And of course, Vietnam is such a jumble of emotions and we we've talked about how you and everybody else felt when they got back to America and were literally spat upon. But uh some some of my buddies who had been in Nam, one of the things that they disliked the most was the way the war ended. They uh they they felt that that was not a fitting thing to do. Of course, you were already flying for Delta at that time, but how did you feel when you heard the news? I was, but I was still invested in the war. You know, I, uh, yeah. in fact, there were times when after I came home that I got guilty that I didn't think about those guys over there every day because I know that, you know, we were forgotten a lot when we were there. But uh, after it was, yes, it was very, very unsatisfying the way it ended. Uh, but the whole thing was fought so much politically rather than militarily that uh, I expected something like that. I'm really? disappointed for the for the Vietnamese people, you know that they yeah. we lost we lost their country to the Chinese to the communists. I mean, not the Chinese. Yeah, right. Well, ultimately, ultimately, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe that's the not so, today. Yeah, yeah, not, not yeah. so far off. Uh, of right. course, your Delta years were were most fascinating to me because you spanned the time coming in when we still had the CAB awarding routes and things were uh, uh, were very regulated to uh, absolutely the wild west, as as it were, with deregulation. Uh, yeah. How did how did that change for you? Oh, well. Uh, do you know who Frank Lorenzo was? I, was a, I guess oh, he's still around. I, I hate Frank Lorenzo. I, I don't know oh, him, no, but no. I, <laughs> I, I'll, t- I'll tell you why I say that. I say yeah. that because of Al Feldman killing himself in his El Segundo office in 1981. And mm. uh, that was a large result of Lorenzo taking off over Continental. And, yeah. uh, well. uh, you know, and Texas Air and Continental, of course, was so interesting because it had started out as a classy airline. Then it had gone into the low price thing in the 50s. And then it came back as like literally the classiest character uh, carrier, the best meals and all that. And here comes Lorenzo. And oh, my dear God. Now, I hope he isn't your best friend or anything. <laughs> no, no, I, I was just going to say. Continental was the proud bird with the golden tail back in those days. Yes, yes. And and we loved him at Delta. In fact, we we thought if we ever merged that we would hope we would merge with Continental. Unfortunately, you know, Frank Frank got him first. And he was the one that started the first low-cost airlines. Right. He really changed. He changed the industry for us. I can't go too deeply into it, but it messed us up for a long time. Uh, I didn't care for him, but, you know, good for him. He, yeah. he, he got his. 
Well, and he decimated Eastern too. While we're at it, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I mean it, uh, and and I I understand the, the good points and all that, but overall, when when Al decided after after Robert Six left that he's going to just eat it rather than deal with Lorenzo, I just thought that was a very right. sad moment, all the way yeah, around. Very much so. Uh, you know, and I, I mentioned before, I don't really, I'm no economist, God knows, but uh, I don't understand the financial model because, of course, back in the one trip days, it was all about how much uh, mail you flew. You were government contractors. And, yeah, they were uh, subsidized with, with the sure, mail, and sure. the passengers weren't that important. So right. later on, later on, the airlines had to had to subsidize with cargo. They would they would. Uh, Carry a lot of cargo overseas if they, if they did their passenger load wasn't enough. But yes. um, the thing the, the thing was uh, we were, we all kind of had our roots, and then after deregulation, it just it was a it was a fight, it was a mud fight, you know, uh, and it affected just about everything we did. I, I remember. In the early seventies, when I was, first started flying, and when when Lorenzo came in, somebody said there someday there would be only four major airlines, and I think if you start counting them today, there's probably about four. Right. If you think about it, yeah, and there were dozens back in the day. Oh, there were so many just wonderful regional carriers, you know, of course, yeah. emerged to uh, form Republic or what have you. But uh, there, there, were, there were a ton of these, uh, uh, you know, little guys and uh, yeah. run from very good to very awful, depending on which ones. But uh, I read in the book, your wife flew for Braniff. She did. Yeah. What years and was she flying? She flew from 64 to 67. She'd been with him three years when we got married. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I, I know you enjoyed the romantic story of how we met. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a- abs- <laughs> uh, yeah right. Exactly. She was, she was dating your buddy. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, well, uh, now you make me sound like a bum. No, but, uh, no, 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 no. They, they, they <laughs> broke up long before that. Okay. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And, many, and, many cities and many miles between them. Yeah, and I, and I didn't have a clue, but she had her sights set on me from way back, and I, I just didn't have a, I didn't have a chance. <laughs> anyway, it's a but one of my one of the fun stories. I, I don't know if you caught it or not, but when uh, I was invited to go out to um, to San Diego to interview with Pacific Southwest Airlines. Oh yes, now, you remember that little story? Yes. Um, part of the interview. Uh, I had a friend, uh, one of my, actually my roommate from Vietnam, got home early, and he got with PSA. And so um, after Delta, Delta originally turned me down, so I I kept, you know, going for for airlines, and PSA sent me a telegram, said, if you can get yourself out here, we'll interview you. And they did, and everything went very well. I uh, The last part of the interview, uh, Don Dolan, who was there, chief pilot uh, took me down into the 737 simulator i'd never flown a 737 but most you know most transport jets are about the same so we flew it and that went well and as we walked out of the building uh, this bus drove up it was a crew bus and i don't know if you remember about psa but they used to hire would-be movie starlets back in the day for their flight attendants i mean it was just um uh, so about 20 of those 
movie starlets in hot pants got out of that bus and he, he, we were talking and Mr. Dolan said, well, Mike, he said, I think he said, we'd like to have you. He said, do you want to come to work for us? I said, yes. He said, well, I'm, I'm sure. He said, let me go up and talk with the gentleman up there. He hired me on the spot, which was pretty nice. Yeah. And, uh, so I said, uh, well, when you go up there, you tell those guys, if they don't want to hire me as a pilot, could I please drive that bus? Yeah. <laughs> she slapped me on the back. He said, yeah, you're a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, so uh, if, if, uh, if Sheila, your wife, went to, uh, went to Braniff in 64, that was probably about the time the Great America bought them in National Car Rental. I uh, don't remember that. I know that uh, that was back in the time of the of the great Gucci uniforms and all those crazy mm-hmm. uh, psychedelic uniforms they had. The brand of flying colors. You remember that? Well, oh there? my god! Fun, yeah. Funny, funny oh. you mentioned that because when they came out with the colorful planes, they did a lot of. Uh, uh, press releases about that, about their 15 colors and their matching interiors. And they right. announced that, that Mary Wells came up with the design. And I thought, oh, my God, I figured they meant the singer for Motown. And I'm like, mm-hmm. geez, Mary Wells, well, if they were going for Motown, I think Diana Ross might. And then, some, no, no, she's, she's, she's somebody who does this kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, they did, uh, uh, they did those nutso colors. But there again, at the same time behind the scenes, that's about the time that Troy Post got that contract to do contract military transport from Vietnam to Hawaii. So mm-hmm. I guess that was a certain amount of subsidization as well. I suppose. I don't know. But I know that when I when I interviewed, Sheila warned me. She said, you don't want to go with Brian if they're not going to make it. So how she knew that, I don't know. But Well, uh, it, had, anyway, it had a rocky history. I know in 67, they bought Panagra which was uh, how I, I knew them, because I used to spend time in La Paz, which is, uh, you know, on the Altiplano in Bolivia, the absolute worst place to land anything because of the... I heard it was pretty tough. Oh. Yeah, I never, oh. I never went down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they had yeah. a, a state carrier, Lloyd Aereo Boliviano, don't even start me. But uh, but but I guess Braniff also, and this would have been, you, you were at Delta by then, weren't they the first right. domestic SST flight? Yes. As a matter of fact, they used to fly the SST from uh, Dallas, Dallas. To, uh, to DFW. Right. And it was Brandon Pilots flying it over domestic routes. They, did, they flew subsonic. But, yeah, they sure did. That must have been a cool assignment. That that must have been. And I remember hearing something about that when they, they went from Dallas to Dallas, and then they changed the flight registration numbers with adhesive vinyl as it took off for Europe. Oh, really? I, I never knew that. Well, I guess... You know it, more details about airline flying than I do, Raleigh. Well, <laughs> I, I, I doubt that's true, but I just remember some of those anecdotal stories because I, I believe yeah. that it, it wasn't Brent if it became Air France or British Air Crews that took it overseas. And I remember the time someone said, yeah, they even they even with adhesive changed the tail numbers. And so hmm. uh, you, would, uh, you would probably know a lot more about that than I would. And that's how Eastern bought their South American roots. And you're, and you're right. Uh, right. It was, uh, but in terms of, uh, in terms of impacting you, I guess the, the first big one would have been the merger with Northeast, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That happened, uh, 27 months after I was hired. In fact, uh, the month I got hired in July of, uh, 70, 
they should have furloughed us. They didn't have much for us to do for, for two years, Riley. And Delta was great about keeping us on. We'd go out twice a month and and fly um, what they call an extra crew member and keep our currency up, you know, so we could handle the, the uh, engineer panel. But uh, when Northeast came in, that was a big boost to, to all of us. And it was a great merger. I just I fell in love with those people from the Northeast. There's something. There's something else. Um, I remember one night uh, we were we were flying with the first time we ever flew with a Boston flight attendant crew, and and the Delta girls. I mean they they're sweet. And they're wonderful. I love them, but they weren't really you know lively like the Northeast people <laughs> were. <laughs> so so this flight attendant came up, sat on the jump seat. Well, we're going to dinner tonight, boys. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> and so she said, yeah, we, at Northeast, we do that. We go to dinner with the crews. But, uh, yeah, I just fell in love with them. It's good pilots, too. They, they they were old school, some of those guys. Well, I guess ha- Howard Hughes had bought them, didn't he, like in 62? And I think he, I like, did. yeah, I, th- I think he did. I think what happened was he was there like a New York minute because the CAB yanked the Miami route. And yeah. uh, that was, uh, and I guess they started out as a contract carrier for Pan Am, but I knew him because George B. Storer had bought him, and he owned okay. a chain of radio stations. And uh, the big joke was that George merged with Delta for less than the value of the hardware. I, n- I never knew if that was true or not, but uh, it was certainly the, the crew's lucky days that Delta got him. That's, uh, that, that's well. for sure. I, I think so. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little a little side story if you got a second for this sure, one. Sure, sure. Um, we had a, in our ground school, we had to have an instructor to keep us current on uh, federal aviation regulations and instrument procedures and all that. And there was a lady from Northeast that we inherited. Her name was Pat Malone. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about Pat? Did I write yeah. about Pat? You wrote about Mother Pat Malone? extensively, and you even, and, and the poems, the poems are Mother amazing. Malone. That's yeah. right. Well, Pat was, we were in class one day, and she had worked for TWA. She was a, a link instructor, a, a flight simulator instructor for him. And she said one day this, this tall guy came in and said, I'd like you to give me a workout in the link. She said, well, who are you? And she she, she said, he couldn't produce any identification saying who he was and how he was connected. So he said, I'll be back in a minute. So in a couple of minutes, she got a call from the chief pilot of uh, TWA and he said, uh, Pat, uh, do the initials HRH mean anything to you? And she said, well, that's Howard Hughes' initials. She said, well, that's who that was down there, and he would like to get a ride in the link with you. <laughs> so <laughs> she he came back and he thanked her for protecting their assets, you know, yeah. and everything. And she said she gave him a big workout, and uh, he sent her a gallon of Chanel Number no. Five after that ride. That's and I great. thought that was one of one of the greatest airline stories in the world. I, I love Pat; she was just amazing. But I thought you'd like to hear that story. Oh, about oh yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful story. I'm talking with Captain yeah. Mike Trahan, and you're welcome to join us. That's three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. I'm Raleigh James, filling in for G, and this is WGN Radio. <laughs>
The Dells got their name from the, uh, well, the Dell Satins got their name from the Dells and the Five Satins. And that is the Five Satins, group that had a big hit within the still of the night. Fred Paris and the Five Satins were probably the best thing ever to come out of New Haven. They were on Ember. It's 1957, wasn't charted. They weren't the only groups out of New Haven either. The Nutmegs, for instance. And everybody remembers in the still of the night, but most people remember to the aisle. But my all-time fave, our anniversary. I'm Raleigh James. I'm filling in for G who is off for the holiday, but she will be back Monday, and next week is her last week. And after that, she joins News Nation, which debuts on WGN America on September 1st. So you can go to WGNAmerica.com and read all about it, and you should if you haven't already. You can also see some videos, and uh, it's uh, it's a great idea. Finally, news that isn't biased. What a concept. Yeah, it'll actually be news. All right, so I'm talking with Captain Mike Trahan, Air Force officer, Vietnam vet, and Delta Airlines, 32 years, retiring as a captain in 2002. And you're welcome to join us. I hope you will. 312-981-7200. You know, Mike, when you started flying for for Delta uh, 1970, we were still dressing up to get on planes. This was, uh, you know, and and I think now where they're the flying buses of the air, I mean, you experienced that by, by the time you were retiring. I can't imagine what changes you went through. Well, yeah, and, and I remember back in the early years we were flying, and, and we we said, you know, these are these are the golden years of airline flying, and by golly, they were because they have changed radically since then. Of course, after nine eleven, even more radically. You know, it just became so deadly serious and so tense for a long time. I think it's probably relaxed a little bit now, but yeah. Uh, it was classy. People used to dress nice, and it was an adventure for them to go on an airplane. Sure, and uh, it w- it was also civilized compared to some of the stories you uh, you hear today. Uh, speaking of civilized, I I meant to uh, meant to actually cart it and put it on the air. Uh, I heard this uh, give and take with uh, with someone in ATC and a private pilot who flew into restricted space, and she told him to get out, and he said no. And- it was, I, I mean, it was, it was about three minutes of he saying, no, I'm not going. And uh, oh. I, uh, yeah, I'll try to find that and maybe send you that, that link, because it was one of those things where I thought to myself, yes, times have really changed. And uh, sure. I, I, now, are, are you still flying, not piloting, I know, but as far as flying as a passenger? Oh, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll hitch a ride with a friend who's got an airplane. I've, I've had a couple little health problems since we talked last and uh i was grounded already but i had a little uh blood clot behind my right eye so i've lost vision in my right eye so uh 
I could I could fly. I could still fly. In fact, there was an airline pilot who was had one eye, but he proved capable of flying. Was just one. Uh, I would not fly with passengers as me being the only pilot on the plane because I have no backup. You know, and I'm I was born to have a backup. So right, right. Uh, that and but, I would think that depth perception would become increasingly difficult. It, this just happened. A few months ago, and I haven't been up since, and I'm I'm looking forward to trying that. I, I have a friend who has a Cessna, and we're going to go up and see mm-hmm. see how my depth perception is affected. I can tell, you know, when I try to put toothpaste on a toothbrush, it, it it's different. Yes, but, yes, but, uh, exactly. Probably, yeah. I want I wanted to mention something. I was listening to your your mu- music coming in um, with your love of history of music. I've got something I want to recommend for you. Okay. Uh, you ever heard of swamp pop music? S W A M P. You have absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Well, down down where I grew up in Orange, Texas, uh, we had a, a nightclub right across the river in Louisiana, and you could go over there and drink and dance at age of eighteen in Louisiana. Yeah. And and they had local bands, and those guys that started back then became legends in Louisiana, and, and we're all the same age. They were all high school guys, you know, when they were starting out. Now they're in their mid to late 70s, and they're still uh, making music down there. But it, it was really fun. It was a lot of fun to dance to that music. Oh, but I, yeah. I just wondered if you had learned anything about that. You know everything else about it. So. Well, you know, I mean, this started really in the 50s, and you're right. It was, amal- it was an amalgamation in, uh, in Louisiana, and they had ballads, too. They weren't all up-tempo, like Cookie and the Cupcakes had Matilda, which was uh, no, that's, kind of... that was the yeah, theme song. Yeah, yeah, right. Everybody knows Matilda, and that was on Paula, which was <laughs> a great, great little label out of, uh, out of Shreveport. And yeah. uh, B- Bobby Charles, See You Later, Alligator, and Bill Haley covered that later. But, uh, you know, I, I guess okay. you could even... Phil Phillips, Sea of Love, what? Oh, uh, Raleigh. Yes. What was our What was our our national theme song for Christmas in the Swamp Pot era? What? Won't you come home from for Christmas? Oh. Bells will be ringing. Charles, remember that song? Well, I know the Charles Brown version of it. That's it. That's okay. it. And okay, it it affected it, it became an instant hit. So much so that every year we had a contest. Whoever heard bells would be ringing first would note the time and call all their friends and say i heard it today christmas is on so that's kind of neat music played a big part in our lives back then but yeah anyway i I digress as they say no no that that that's great well charles brown was i guess he was uh from texas city and and then galveston area and uh yeah he had uh been Mm -hmm. in la and i always thought of more of as an la guy because he relocated there early and did a lot of stuff there but uh but yeah please come home for christmas is is huge uh as I, i i still hear that uh that today but then you have the arguments would you consider jimmy clanton to be swamp pop i don't know that I'd go that far. Or, uh, he was from, I think he was from Baton Rouge. Jimmy was, I think. Yeah. I'm not but, sure. Uh, but listen, one of the guys that played uh, in in that big oak club that I was telling you about was Bobby Kimball. And uh-huh. Bobby went on went on to Toto. And he's featured in, in Rosanna. And, okay. and there was another, in Africa. His his voice is featured in, in those two songs. So he hit sure. it big. Yeah, sure. some of those guys did real good. Yeah, and he was. I think he. I think he was from Vinton. 
Um, and, and yeah, Louisiana. he was. And Absolutely. So yes. I'd, I'd remembered that on some little story they have, but uh, uh, and wasn't uh, wasn't he did something with part of the Three Dog Night? I think they had uh, a gig out in L.A. They they formed I, a group. I lost I lost track until somebody told me that it was him with Toto. But yeah, uh, no, they they had some. Uh, I, I thought Hold the Line was just one of the best songs uh, by Toto. And uh, I think that was before Rosanna and Africa, but yeah. but yeah, ap- absolutely. And I think New Orleans uh, is such a huge contributor to uh, both soul, you know, R and B and and pop, really. And yeah. but that's another place. When I, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess the sp- spoken like an old person. When I used to go to Louisiana, especially New Orleans, uh, this was a great city. The percentage of, of black home ownership was very high. There was a vibrant black middle class of people. You had a lot of, of great areas and, you know, not only the tourist stuffs like the Volca Ray, but a lot of great areas. And now it, and I'm not even talking about post Katrina, but even before that, it just like disintegrated. And I don't yeah. know what happened to New Orleans. Well, I think the, the tornadoes and the floods, I mean, the hurricanes and the floods and all that started it. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. It's, it's changed a lot down there. Yeah, it it just used uh, to be a, a robust city. And, uh, the, and the, the area that, that really brought um, Swamp Pop alive was... Uh, what do they call her Acadiana. It's oh called, yeah, we call that exactly. It's it's it's, it's uh, west of the Mississippi River, actually west of the Chafalaya Swamp, starting around New Iberia and um, Lafayette and all those places, and, and yeah. down through there. And that's where they they really that stuff developed. And then they, they had zydeco music and Cajun music. I'm I'm 99% Cajun by heritage. Wow, that's and I'm great. Texan by birth. So. Yeah. Well, so. I think one of my favorites, and it's not not known that well. I've played it before as a bumper, but is Charles Sheffield. It's your voodoo working. And when I, I don't remember that. Oh stuff. yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. just a, we're talking with Mike Trahan, Captain Trahan, and uh, should you want to join us, obviously uh, topics whatever is on your mind will be on ours. Three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. I'm Raleigh James in for G on WGN Radio. Well, 
Apologies for that. I pulled it off a CD. Shouldn't have done that. It is not the original 45 mix. It is the first hit for Cornelius Brothers and Baby Sister Rose, Treat Her Like a Lady, on United Artists in 1971. Got to number 20 on the R&B charts. Peaked at number 3 on the pop charts 49 years ago today, which is why I played it, because uh, that was the uh, first record they had released. It was the peak of the charts 49 years ago right now. They're from Miami area. They recorded at Bob Archibald Music Factory, which really was a factory. It was in the Garment District on 27th Avenue and 5th Street. Now, off the strength of how well Bob Archibald did with the Cornelius Brothers, the music factory by the end of the 70s was 32 track and at 5,000 square feet, it was quite the thing. But what started it all was that, treat her like a lady. I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio. I'm filling in for G. She will be back all next week for her, her final week. And then you will see or hear her or be aware of her on News Nation. Go to W. Jesus, it, it just chokes me up, obviously. I made the mistake of eating something during the last break, and you can tell it, can't you? WGNAmerica.com. There you go. Or if you're on Facebook, News Nation Now. And we're talking with Captain Mike Trahan about this and that. Really, that's the easiest way to say it, but uh, it's perfect for Independence Day with your Air Force career and being a Vietnam vet. And we actually got a caller, Bob in Indiana. Welcome to WGN Radio. Hello, Miss James. Hi, Bob. I have to tell you straight up that I am so appreciative every time you're on this radio station because I lock in. Aren't you and kind? You. Aren't you thank kind? You. And we we didn't even have to pay you for that. That's just so nice. I'll take whatever money you want to throw this way. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Well, well, both dimes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I. I absolutely love your bumper music, and I love your program. And please find a way just to get on GN, because... Oh, well, I... It will be a massive improvement... Oh no. Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, I, I agreed to do uh, at least temporarily for July and August the rest of this show after next week when, when G leaves. And then, oh, then we'll see. God. We'll see what happens if I'm still alive after that, because I, I still have you know a few radio stations I own and all this other stuff that I, I do. In fact, the, when I stop doing afternoon news somewhere, I have like four minutes before the WGN start, show starts. So, yeah. Well, again, thank God. Oh, aren't you, aren't you kind? Well, now, I, I, you have to do your part, though, Bob. Uh, I, I expect you to call regularly. Well, I try. Okay. Okay, and also, please, pass on the cap. I remember Spooky. All <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember Spooky, and I also remember in 86, the last commercial DC-3 I saw in the States Ooh. used to fly yeah. in regular. Used to fly in regularly to Key West. I believe it was PBA. Goodness wow. gracious! Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I was. It was like walking into Casablanca. It was wonderful. Yeah. So, but again, Cap, thank you. And there, and you done it. So. All right, Bob. Thanks for calling. Wow. Well, that's nice. Yeah, that, that's that's really nice. Yeah, the DC threes were just just terrific. I mean, not that not that I'd want to be you know a passenger on one now necessarily, mm-hmm. but uh, they they were a workhorse for literally decades. 
Hey, Raleigh, that, that airplane has been with me my entire life. I don't, you said you haven't gotten into the first book, The Civilian Years. Yeah. You'll get to a part where right after I graduated college, <clears throat> when I was about 10 or 11 years old, I always go backwards, but uh, when I was about 10 or 11 years old, we lived on a little farm in Orange, Texas, and uh, it was not far from the local airport, and a millionaire owned the airport, and the millionaire owned a DC-3 that he flew out of that airport, and I used to lay in the pasture with my old dog, Goober, and watch that big airplane fly over, wondering what what it would be like to fly something like that. Well, gosh, uh, 10 years later, when I was about 20, 21, 22, I got to fly that very airplane. And then later on, wound up flying, the, you know, the spooky. But there's a great story about how Mr. Brown uh, let me fly, fly co-pilot for him, flew out to his ranch in, in Kerrville, Texas, and spent a wonderful week out there. You'll enjoy that story. But the airplane was spectacular. Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. He could have afforded a Learjet. They brought one in the orange and said, uh, let's go fly. And Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown got on the airplane, and he said, I can't walk around with my bourbon in my hand on this airplane. I just stick with my DC-3. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could have bought anything anyway. Well, I wonder yeah, how that the, guy knew about Spooky. That's interesting. Well, maybe he was listening before, or after all, I mean, Spooky, uh, yes, you've told the story, but it is a legend. Well, um, and thanks to you, you know, I think... I think my goal in life now is to, to perpetuate that legend. I just uh, learned the other day that they've retired the last AC-130 from the 4th really? Operations Squadron, and that was really? the last one to use our call sign, Spooky, modern 130 gunships. And I was saddened by that, but I, I think they'll reconstitute the squadron again someday and hope they'll use Spooky again. But uh, we were, we started the, the program. Our, our, our little airplane proved that it was... Feasible, and the AC-119 came along and said you can do it even a little better, and then the 130 came, and that was yeah. a perfect airplane. But, yeah. Uh, now, I I know uh, you, you touched on it a little in your Delta career, and uh, probably maybe even in other flying career, but i got to ask about it. UFOs. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't care. I've seen them. I've All right. Seen them. Uh, All right. I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever he... I'm 78 years old. I don't care. Bring it on, buddy. Um, one night, we were flying from um, Atlanta. I think, no, Jackson to, to Shreveport, going right over Monroe, Louisiana. And I something caught the corner of my eye, and it went across right in front of us horizontal. It was level. It wasn't climbing or descending or anything. And it had a mass... It looked like just a lump of something. And and it went by so fast, it crossed the windscreen in about two seconds, you know, the, from one one uh, end to the other. And just a, just a, quick, a quick calculation told me it was going better than 2,000 miles an hour. Wow. And, and, and thinking that, I, you know, I was just seeing things, I, I just kind of didn't say anything. And then somebody came on the radio and said, there's a little Cessna, a little Cessna down below us. He said... He said, uh, well, uh, Shapo, I don't know what center it was, but he, he, it, whatever the control was, he said, yeah. do, you, do you have any fighter jets up tonight? <laughs> I said, no. He said, 
We said, well, one of them just went by me going 500 miles an hour. And I said, no, try 2,000. Who said that? I didn't say another word. No, you know? that's, but, that's uh, great. I can't help but think, you know, I can't help but think they're out there. And I, I did. I looked hard my whole career. Uh, in fact, after Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and I used to go out in the pasture and whistle that tune, hoping they'd come land, you know, give me a ride. What a what a great story, and that's a that's a fine place to leave it because you see that that's an entree for another visit with you in the future, uh, Captain oh, Robert, Mike Trahan. I hope you'll join us again. Anytime, anytime. I just love talking with you. Really Thanks. Do. Appreciate it. Thank you.